Thanks, Chad. Thank you for the singing, for the reading of scripture, for the prayer this morning. And uh, I definitely needed that. I needed encouragement. Um, well, yeah, I think we all need encouragement. We talked about it in our Sunday school this morning in 2 Thessalonians that we need to stay encouraged. We need to uh, contend for the faith. We need to stand firm. And we can't do that alone, can we, church? We need one another. We need uh, the hope of Christ that li lives in us and through us. And as we continue to uh, minister alongside of one another, again, I just, I just thank you for uh, all that you do, all that, uh, the encouragement that you give me in my life. We're going to continue through the book of Matthew today. We're in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, Pastor Mark uh, read and preached on the first six verses of chapter 11 last week about Jesus and John the Baptist and uh, the encounter when John the Baptist sent his disciples uh, to go ask Jesus, hey, are you the guy? Are you really the one? Right? He had some doubts in his mind. Uh, and again, as we continue to go through uh, the book of Matthew, we, we see that uh, Matthew's entire focus, as we say every week, was that Jesus was king. He was, he came, he was born as a king, uh, treated as a king by the, uh, those who came to see him, and yet at the same time was not received by most as king. Uh, he came from the most humblest of beginnings. He was born in a manger, uh, which you wouldn't think that a king would, would that that would happen. Uh, we see that uh, he taught about his kingdom, what his kingdom would look like in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, as he uh, showed that his kingdom would be one of humility, of meekness, of mercy, of purity, uh, of heart, and for those who hunger and thirst for his righteousness. And I think as we look at our lives, I know as we look at our lives individually, and we look all around us in our culture today, uh, just like in the culture back then, we can say that uh, without a doubt that there are not a lot of people that hunger and thirst for righteousness. It is a way in which we live our lives that we point that everything that we do revolves around who Jesus is, who, he, who God is, and that we live our lives for him and that uh, we treat others in the, in the same manner. That Jesus says that when he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says, what, church? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and to do likewise to others. And so, you know, it's really important for us to understand that uh, as Matthew reminds us early on, as Chad just shared in our assurance of salvation uh, in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew hits right on, the nail right on the head when he says, Jesus came to save us from our sins. That's why he came. And today, just like then, we see that, again, most people don't hunger and thirst for that righteousness. But as my daily devotions, I just wrapped up going through the book of Judges. Uh, over and over in the book of Judges, we see the phrase, they did as they saw right in their own eyes. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'll say today that most people do what they see is, is right in their own eyes, wouldn't we, church? And so, again, last week, Pastor Mark uh, wrapped up chapter 11 in the first six verses talking about uh, John the Baptist and sending his disciples to Jesus because he had doubts. Uh, and I had never thought about it before, but, but Pastor Mark did a wonderful job of, uh, of showing me that when we have doubts, again, it, it reiterates the faith that we have in Christ. Because if we didn't have a doubt, it would be, it would just, we, we wouldn't have any hunger and thirst for his righteousness. If we had no doubt, it would show in our own lives that, that we, we, don't, we don't look to him for anything. We, we don't doubt things that we don't believe. We, we doubt things that we do believe. And, and John the Baptist had some doubts. He sent his disciples saying, I believe you are who you say you are. 
But could you just, hey, one more time, reaffirm me. One more time as I sit here in this jail cell, rotting for 18 months, uh, waiting to be killed for believing in you and speaking out against the sins of this culture as your word declares I should have, could you just tell me again it wasn't all for nothing? And Jesus reminds uh, the disciples who came that he, everything that he had done, the miracles that he performed, and that they knew about, and the transformed lives that they heard and believed. Jesus said that in verse, reread verse 4. It says, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what, you're, what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. He reminds them, hey, this is, this is, who, this is who you saw, this is what you saw, this is what you believed, and it's true. I am the Messiah. And he's going to go on to now turn his attention from John's disciples to the crowd that is gathered around. Because there's always a crowd, whether the crowd is for or against Jesus, whether the crowd is for or against us as Christians today, there's always a crowd. There's always a group of people that uh, both want, they're, they're, there's a crowd that want to support, and then there's a crowd that want to uh, interrogate, question, uh, put us down, uh, that want to... Um, disclaim in, the, in their own minds, shut down anything of Christianity. And so as we continue in this middle section, you know, the same crowd that heard of John uh, preaching in the desert and baptizing in the Jordan, that same crowd is there. They not only heard of John coming, they heard John preach for themselves. The same crowd that were even baptized by John in the Jordan River for the message he was, that he was preaching, that uh, for the repentance of their sin and preparing their hearts for the Messiah to come. So as we look at this passage today in verses, 11, or sorry, verses 7 through 19, we're going to look at three things primarily, that, that Jesus turns his attention away from John's disciples to the crowd. We're going to see that uh, the crowd, uh, why the crowd went out to see John the Baptist initially. And we're going to look at, at this passage and, and put it in perspective and our practical application of our lives today of why it is that we worship God today, why we go to worship, why we come to church uh, and, and what it is that draws us uh, to Christ. And so let's read chapter 11, verses 7 through 19 together. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet... This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, those born among you, among women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces calling out to others. We played a pipe for you and they did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Join me as we pray. Father God, we come to you this morning humbly uh, with a contrite heart, 
with a heart that seeks after you, after your word. Lord, we just pray that as we do so, that we know that you are faithful to continue to to show us more about your character, who you are, to make us more and more in the image of your son, Jesus Christ, each and every day, to draw those to you that don't know you. Lord, we pray this morning as we continue to read your word and we look at uh, this passage of scripture as Jesus turns his attention to the crowd uh, and asks them, why did you even go out to see John? What are your doubts? What is, what is it that, that's keeping you back? What is it that's drawing you to me? And Lord, this morning, uh, may we ever be more drawn to you and to your word and to live it out and to proclaim the gospel. In your mighty name we pray, amen. So first of all, again, why would Jesus turn and address the crowd as, as Jesus' disciples left? Uh, if we think about that, if we look at our own lives, has there been a time where somebody who you considered to be a spiritual giant, somebody who uh, had discipled you, somebody that you looked at and said, they're on fire for Christ. We see, it, we see it in the news. We see it in social media. Maybe many of us have seen it even in the lives of, of other Christians that we have encountered with. But when they begin to doubt, when they have failures in their own lives, when they fall short or uh, moral failures even, it may make us even more unsure than we ever were before. We may have had a few doubts, but when we see others doubt, sometimes it, it brings us down that same road of doubt, doesn't it, church? And so Jesus turns his attention from John's disciples to the crowd because this crowd were the ones, again, like I mentioned, uh, that had heard of John's coming. They knew. Uh, they went out to see John preach. And some of them, many of them, maybe even baptized for repentance of their sin as they prepared their hearts uh, for the coming Christ. Uh, and when that person doubted, especially when that person who's doubting is sitting in, the, in prison for proclaiming the message that says the Messiah would set the captives free uh, and is uh, sitting there languishing in the prison, no doubt it would create more doubt in our minds. And so we may begin to, to doubt ourselves at, at, at an even greater level. And this is why, uh, you know, as we look at, we, we talk about all the time, the health and wealth gospels and why when we hear preachers and, and teachers proclaiming health and wealth, uh, we see how easily it can lead down a road of confusion, out of doubt. Uh, what's going on there, right? The message of the gospel is that Jesus would set the captives free. But that's not from just a physical jail cell. It's from the sin that captivates us, the sin that keeps our attention from God, the sin that leads us to an eternal death. And that's the sin that, that Jesus came to set us free from. And that's the, the doubt that the people had because they weren't expecting that kind of, of freedom. They were expecting freedom from uh, social issues, from physical issues that the Romans were encountering on them, uh, the fact that they didn't have the things that they felt that they desperately needed. John was experiencing that. He was sitting in a jail cell. You know, I said it this morning in our Sunday school class, the, the safest place to be is in the will of God, but it's also the most dangerous place because when we proclaim the gospel and we encounter a culture that is completely against Christianity, Jesus said it himself, they will hate you because they hated me. And John was experiencing that. He's in the prison. He was, previous to that, he thought, he felt like, I'm doing exactly what it is God is calling me to do, and yet now I, I, I'm experiencing all these difficulties. We will experience difficulties, church. But what Jesus said to the, John's disciples and what he turns and says to the crowd was, I'm the real thing. 
John was the real thing. John was pointing them to me, and it cost them everything. And if you too believe and follow me, it's going to cost you too. They would have to, just as we do today, we have to cast aside all of our anxieties, all of our fears, all of our ideas of what his kingdom was going to look like and accept the fact that his kingdom is going to be completely countercultural and it's going to lead us uh, to have issues in this culture. So as we look at uh, verse 7, it says, again, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd and then he asked them one major question in the form of three questions. He says, what did you go out to see? A reed swayed by the wind, a man dressed in fine clothes, and then a prophet. And so when we look at a reed swayed by the wind, there's several, several aspects of what that could mean, of what Jesus' original intention was uh, to that crowd. Uh, he could have meant several things. He could have meant, did you go out into the wilderness to see the reed swayed by the wind? Because along the Jordan River, there would have been many reeds all along there. They were tall. They would, they, the wind would blow. Uh, it was kind of likened to the fact that, like, for me, I would say, because I, I hate painting, I would say uh, to watch paint dry. Did you just go out into the wilderness to sit there and watch these reeds blow back and forth with no purpose? Did you just kind of sit there to go kill time? No, that's not. Did you go out? Uh, another, another commentary I read said that uh, it's possible that the way that John preached, that he swayed back and forth. Did you go out to see John, just John preach, or did you go out to hear the message he proclaimed? And then he says that a man dressed in fine clothes, if you remember from Sunday school Bible lessons, especially if you, were young, if you went to church as a child, yeah, you know John did not dress in fine clothes. It says he dressed in camel hair uh, and, 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 and a belt, and he had ate locusts and honey, and he was just that weird guy, right? Uh, somebody that we would typically never associate ourselves with. Uh, but he was not dressed in fine clothes. That's not why they went out there. And then he says, a prophet, yes, I tell you more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written. And he goes on to, to share uh, the prophecy from Malachi. If you turn with me just one book back into the, the last book of the Old Testament in, Ma in Malachi chapter 2, uh, we're going to see what Jesus is saying is that these Jews knew exactly who John was coming to fulfill the prophecy from the book of Malachi. And so in Malachi chapter 2, uh, we see this prophecy in, in the end of chapter 2 and beginning of chapter 3. And chapter 2, verse 17 says, You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? So they're seeking for the God of justice. The Jews are awaiting the God of justice. And in verse 3, he says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me, then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And so that's where that prophecy came. From the time that Malachi wrote this prophecy uh, was about 400 to 450 years previous to Jesus coming. And then after Malachi's death, we have uh, between the Old Testament and the New Testament approximately 400 years uh, where there was no prophet from God that came and shared so these Jews in, in Jerusalem and Israel, uh, all over, for 400 years, they were waiting this prophecy to come true. They knew that there was one that was going to come and proclaim the coming of Jesus Christ. And he would do so in the same way that they, they heard about John in the wilderness doing it. So if you were waiting for, I mean, we're not going to live for 400 years, but if you were waiting for even four years 
for something to come true that you had been told about, that you had anticipated, something that was exciting, something that uh, would, would give you life and life eternal, would you want to go see it? Yeah, we would. We hear about uh, the, the music concert at, I don't even know what it's called anymore, Sandstone. What is it? Always Sandstone, right? It's got six different names now, but there was an all-day concert there yesterday. When, when that was released and heard, even for a month or two, people were excited to go. They couldn't wait to get there. These Jews couldn't wait for, for John to come. They couldn't wait for Elijah to come because what that meant was one step closer to the Messiah coming and them receiving eternal life. Things that, that, that had been promised and told to them for many, many years. And like I said, for 400 years, they'd been, been anticipating this. And Jesus says, now that 400 years has passed, now you go out. And why do you go out? It's because they were excited for that. They couldn't wait uh, to, for the Messiah to come. It meant everything to them. And so the reality, though, is they came with their own expectations. And we come with our own expectations of what Christ is, who he is, how he saves, where he directs us, where God leads us. We have our own expectations. And when we bring our own expectations to that, many times, possibly all the time, we fall short on what that is. See, from the very beginning, Jesus' birth didn't meet the expectations of the people. I mentioned he was born in a manger. He lived in a town and was raised from, he was from Nazareth. Even in scripture, it says, does anything good come from Nazareth? He didn't play the games that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law wanted them to play. He didn't, he didn't come to just tell them what they wanted to hear. He came to tell them, you're a sinful person, and because of your sin, you're separated from God. But God had a plan, and he sent me to die in your place on the cross to take your punishment, your penalty, so that you can have eternal life if you would just, by faith, believe in me. He didn't play their games. And we're going to look at that because in verse 17 and 18, we see down that the kids in the marketplace are playing games and they want people to join. In our culture today, people are playing games and they want us to join. They want us to be uh, our attention turned, our ear turned from God's word and, and, and just look like the rest of the world does. But from creation, we see God didn't meet the expectations of sinful humanity. We want to put God in our own little box. We've designed, we, we, we think we can design him to be what we want him to be. And then when we can't, people declare there's no God at all. The people had an expectation again of who John would be, who the Messiah would be. And we see that in Malachi chapter three, uh, verse one. But then also, if, you've, if you're still there, let me read verse, chapter four, verse five, as Malachi wraps up. He says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike this land with total destruction. He's telling them that if, if you don't believe in me, if you don't turn your heart to me, uh, you will not receive eternal life, but eternal uh, separation from God for all eternity and an object of God's wrath. So the book of Malachi there closes again with that prediction, and for 400 years, uh, they awaited. But now the New Testament opens and we see in the book of Matthew uh, the birth of John the Baptist, the birth of Jesus Christ, their cousins, uh, the fulfillment of the, of the prophecy of Malachi. And the people, again, over 400 years have been waiting. So they went out into the wilderness because they knew 
that Malachi had promised about the coming of the one who would prepare the way for the Messiah. So in a sense, you have someone proclaiming that somebody else is going to come to proclaim that somebody else is going to come. And when Jesus comes and fulfills that, they were, or when John comes to fulfill that prophecy in Malachi, they were intrigued. But as Jesus clearly shows, not all of them, or maybe even most of them, uh, were really unwilling to uh, hear it or even believe it. Verse 11, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let him hear. So a prophet, more than a prophet, Jesus just described John the Baptist and referred to Malachi's prophecy. And Christ now adds that not only is John the greatest among all the prophets, he's the greatest of every person ever born on earth. That's a heck of a statement. And so this statement is with all scripture should be considered in, in context, right? John served as the one man chosen by God to prepare the way for the Messiah. Jesus is quick to add that even one person uh, who is in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Heaven's kingdom. It will be filled with those who, de who are declared righteous before God by his grace because of our faith in Jesus Christ alone. In Christ, our sins are forgiven and God will give us credit for them for the righteous life. Not that we live, church, but the, Christ, the life that Christ lived. And so anyone forgiven of all sin is declared righteous before God through faith in Christ and is going to be greater than John the Baptist. Again, John was the last of the prophets to point forward to the kingdom of heaven. And so it gave him really, in a sense, a greater status. It showed uh, he had more knowledge of who Christ was than any other prophet before him because it was right there on the verge. He lived the same time that Jesus Christ lived. But again, he was still standing on his own righteousness. Luke's gospel quotes the angel of the Lord describing uh, the work of John the Baptist will do uh, to his father. It uses the same phrase from Malachi that we said. Uh, it says, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the people prepared, the Lord, the people that the Lord prepared. John himself denies, he, I'm not Elijah, I'm not, I'm not him. He refuted any suggestion that he was a prophet reborn and returned to earth. But insists that he was just a fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy and that Elijah would be sent to prepare the way for Christ. John certainly came in the spirit and power of Elijah, as the angel had said in Luke chapter 1. And then Jesus, again, says, if you're willing to accept it. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning as well. That's, that's hard because we have pride, we're arrogant, we're selfish. Uh, we want things the way we want them, how we want them, and when we want them. But when God calls, we're to answer. God in his perfect plan arranged things so that at that time, the children of Israel would have no excuse not to accept Jesus as their Messiah. He even went to the trouble of sending uh, an Elijah-like forerunner to the Messiah to fulfill the prophecy that for 400 years they've been waiting for. And he did so uh, to prepare the way for Jesus to encourage them to see Jesus as the Messiah because that's who he is. 
But we see again in Scripture, we see in our world today uh, that people reject John and they reject Jesus Christ. Verses 16 and 17 are a clear understanding, as I mentioned before, of the fact that people in our world today, they just want to play games. They want to do anything and everything they can to draw our attention away from these. It says here that we played a pipe for you and didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. First few times I ever read that passage, I never realized that it was just little kids as they played games in the marketplace, that they were playing weddings and they were playing funeral and playing pretend. And I don't know about you, I've seen a lot of kids play wedding, but I don't know if I've ever seen kids play funeral. That was, that was a new one on me. But what they did was they said, we're playing music for you and you're not dancing. It's a, it's a wedding ceremony and you're not, no one in the marketplace is, is dancing and, and, and going along with it. When we sing a dirge, when we sing a funeral uh, song, nobody's acting as if it's a funeral. And if we're honest with ourselves, church, in our world today, we see in our culture that people want to play games all day long and then get mad as Christians because we say, no, God's word says we're not playing along, right? The crowds say in our world today, um, because of their agendas, because of uh, they want us to play, their tactics that they use, they get angry when we don't. The crowds say abortion, hey, it's just women's health, not murder, and they get angry when you don't agree with them, when you don't agree because God's word says it. When the crowds say sexual identity, gender pronouns, sexual morality, Hey, it's a matter of my choice, my self-identification. I get to choose, and you have to celebrate it with me. And then get angry when you say, no, I don't. But those same people say that our morality, our integrity, our beliefs, that they're idiotic. And they have no bearing on them. We don't have, a, we don't have the, we're not able to, to portray that on them. We're not able to share that with them. They don't want to hear it. But we also see that there are a great number of people who do latch on and go along with, hey, whatever the crowds are saying, they do play along with the games. And it's dangerous because when we get misled, when we get off track, church, it, it, it's hard to, to steer back. Especially most times when we get off track, we try to do it on our own. We don't go back to the cross. We don't go back to Christ. Uh, we don't allow him to guide and direct us. And so again, as we read this passage and look at this in our own lives, what is, it, what is it that those around us are trying to, not even necessarily just those around us, but social media, news, uh, technology, every aspect, um, politics, what is it that they're trying to do to turn our hearts and our eyes from Jesus Christ and to recognize it and to say no? Because that's what Jesus did. That's what John did. And in verse 18, we see that because of that, they make false claims about who John is. They make false claims about who Jesus is. And into our world today, they still make false claims about who Jesus is because it doesn't fit the game that they wanna play. Verse 18 says, for John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. And so as Jesus wraps up this section and sharing, in verses 18 and 19, uh, he's showing them practically what he's been talking about and comparing them to the, to the kids in the marketplace. He's saying that you're using two examples and you give a different, different answer for both examples. 
John doesn't come eating or drinking and they say he has a demon. Jesus comes eating and drinking and says he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of the tax collector. Well, yeah, Jesus came to save the lost. Again, Matthew 1, Jesus came to save us from our sins. And so we can compare the crowd uh, there who proclaim, proclaim ridiculousness, wickedness, and sinfulness to the same crowds that do the, do the very same thing today. They see the message, they hear the message, but they refuse the message because they want it the way they want it. And they refuse it so adamantly, this crowd here does, that they even claim lies about who John and Jesus are. And so if we circle back and ask the question again, as, as Jesus asked to the crowd, if we ask that same question to us today, when Jesus says, why did you go into the wilderness to see John? You were looking for the Messiah. You heard the message. You went there to receive it. You even agreed to the message. You were baptized initially uh, to prepare your hearts for the coming Messiah. But yet now you turn and you say, it was for nothing. It, it meant nothing. It had nothing. And we have to be careful as we look at our own lives today to say, you know, why do we go to church? Why do we worship? Why do we claim to be Christian? Why are we looking for Jesus? Jesus asked those people, and I found this article on uh, John Piper's website, uh, his uh, ministry, uh, Desiring God, and it was five bad reasons to go to church. The first thing was to be comfortable. He says, church can be a suitable backup for social clubs and draw those who don't love God at all. Jesus reminds the Israelites that they were in the wilderness to hear John speak. They didn't sit to hear God's word at their convenience. They were willing to endure discomfort to hear God. Second thing is to hear unstable opinions. Jesus confronts what seems so prevalent these days, uncertain teaching. Jesus' hearers went to hear a man of God speak on behalf of God. John, filled with the Holy Spirit, set ablaze. And we, like those Israelites, should long to hear humble men who speak humility and doesn't make them uncertain about revealed truth, but causes them to be all the more dependent upon it. Church, we're not here to be comfortable. We're not here to, to hear unstable opinions, uh, but to be dependent on God and his word. The third thing, to be entertained. They went to hear John speak truth and do it boldly. They didn't go to see a man afraid to speak hard things for the good of their souls. He did not flatter them. He challenged their false hopes and the hopes of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. John called his hearers not merely to say sorry, but to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. His listeners could not sit back comfortably and hear comfortable speeches and leave unaffected. It was the place to hear from the prophet, believe, to confess sins, to repent, and to be baptized. Fourthly, to be shielded from reality. They did not do that. John sounded sirens to prepare them for the Lamb of God because this life alone sets the course for eternity. If we preach as if nothing were at stake, the gate to destruction is wide and many find it, but the gate that leads to life is narrow and few find it. If we preach like that, it never addresses the secret loves that threaten to undo us or, as Christ, or the Christ that offers to save us and we're disgraced. And then lastly, to hear mainly about ourselves. All Christian ministries must point incessantly to Christ to say with John as he did, 
several times, even to his own disciples, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To say, as John, the Apostle John does in, in chapter 3, verse 30, he must become greater and I must become less. We must make much of Christ, not to proclaim man's glory, but Christ, to preach Christ crucified. John's hearers went to hear from God and hear about the coming Messiah. We're here today, church, because we want to preach the excellence of Christ boldly. The hard words about love and sin and my and your desperate need of the Savior. The reality of our lostness and our need to repent and turn to Christ in faith. That is why they went into the wilderness. And I hope that this morning, uh, that's why you come to worship. That's why you boldly come to the cross of Christ. That that would lead us in everything that we do to bear fruit through repentance, to live out and proclaim the gospel. Jesus Christ came, heralded by John the Baptist, not to make our life easy, comfortable, not to give us um, any ideas about unstable opinions, definitely not to be entertained, not to be shielded from the reality that um, apart from God, apart from Jesus Christ, we'll spend eternity uh, separated from him and as an object of his wrath. I hear people say, I want to pause there for a second, because I hear people say a lot, and I've said it myself, apart from God, we'll spend eternity separated from God. Well, if that was, if that was the whole truth, church, I don't, think, I don't think most of the world would care about that, because most of the world lives their life separated from God anyway. The reality is, is that we don't just spend our life in eternity separated from God. We become an object of his wrath. But it doesn't have to be that way because Jesus' death on the cross provided the way back to be made right in his eyes through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not our own. That's the reality. And then lastly, to not hear about ourselves, but of Christ. And then again, we need to remember that as we live our lives, when we say not to hear mainly about ourselves, what do we like to talk about? I find myself doing it all the time. I talk about myself, the things I'm doing, the things that I want to do. But our conversations need to be filled more and more with who Christ is, what he came to do. And no matter who that is, whether that's with another Christian or with an unbeliever, the testimony that we have is the power that we have. Because many people today will deny this book as being from God and they'll say, hey, I'm not going to believe anything in it. But they cannot refute your transformed life. Share it. Father God, we thank you for uh, your word this morning. We thank you uh, for your son, Jesus Christ, who came uh, to give us life. We thank you for uh, John the Baptist, who by his example uh, went and publicly proclaimed the truth uh, that repentance uh, was necessary for salvation and this morning, Lord, if there is anybody here that doesn't know you, anybody watching live stream, anybody listening to the message later, Lord, we just pray that you would convict their heart, that you would draw them to you to know that uh, they are destined to spend an eternity separated from you and as object of your wrath. And Lord, this morning, uh, may we look at our own lives and, and ask ourselves, what is it that, that, that we are coming to worship for? What is it we are claiming to be a Christian for? Is it to fit in? Is it to be comfortable? Is it to be entertained? Is it to be able to uh, have status? Lord, none of that is true. We are to come humbly uh, to be meek, 
to be unprideful, Lord, and to admit that we're sinners saved by grace through your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, may because of that, may we speak boldly, no matter what the outcome is, just like John who sat in prison and very shortly uh, is going to lose his life in that prison because he boldly proclaimed your word. Lord, help us to do that. Lord, those of us that know you, Lord, help us to become more and more like you each and every day as John 3.30 tells us. And Lord, this morning, uh, may as we leave this place, no matter where we go, our conversations be led and filled with the gospel. In your mighty name we pray, amen.